come before you as we open your word. We pray that you would open our hearts, that you would speak to us this morning uh, through your word, that you would grow us into the men and women of God that you created us to be. And Father, as we come before you in this way, we give you the burdens of our hearts that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word today. We confess to you, Father, that we are sinners and that we are in need of your saving grace as you have offered it to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that sacrifice that brings forgiveness and mercy to our souls. May we rest in the strength of knowing that we are forgiven and loved eternally through what your son has done for us on the cross. And Lord, as we come before you. We give you the relationships in our lives that are strained, and we pray for your peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We lift up those whom we know and love who are sick or recovering from medical procedures and pray your healing mercies upon them. We pray your uh, continued healing over Grant Kale uh, and just ask that you would continue the miracle of, of his recovery. And we thank you for keeping him throughout this ordeal. We just thank you for all that you're doing there. We um, lift before you those from our church family who are deployed. We think of Shelby, and uh, we lift up Colonel Lester as well, and we just pray for both of them as they are far away from family and home. Uh, Bless them, be with them, protect them, watch over them, and bring them home safely. And Lord, we lift up all of our troops all over the world. We pray that same blessing over them. We pray especially for those who are in harm's way, that you would bring them home safely as well. And Lord, we lift up our leaders at every level of government, elected and appointed, and we pray that you would give them wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them. And Lord, we lift up your church here at Hope and around the world. We think of all the churches that we're connected to uh, here in the U.S. and in other countries through the missionaries whom we support in Guatemala and Laredo, Texas and Cuba and Beirut, Lebanon and elsewhere in the Middle East. And we just pray your blessing over all those works of your spirit. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we have been in a series of messages of late uh, for the past eight or nine weeks um, looking at uh, Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica. Um, this is the letter that's called First Thessalonians, and as we've been kind of working through the book, we've noticed uh, it's a very positive book. Uh, Paul started this church, and then uh, some opposition in the town arose to Paul being there and to uh, proselytizing people, and they, they literally formed a mob and ran him out of town. And he's been wondering for quite a while, like, how are they doing? I, I, I was there when they were sort of started, but I haven't been able to be a part of what God's doing there since then. And so he has sent Timothy to the church to visit it and to report back to him. And Timothy brings back a great report, like they're hitting on all cylinders. They're doing a great job. They're worshiping God. They're sharing his love. They're spreading the gospel Uh, They're really doing a phenomenal job, and Paul is excited to hear that. He writes to them out of that excitement, and today we come to a a section where he uses the term brothers twice in in close succession to one another, and it sort of just reminds us of the fact that we are all part of this 
amazing cosmic family that God is building for himself all over the world and throughout time. And this family is not restricted to uh, the Christians who are on earth right now. It's the, it's the collection of souls that God is bringing to himself through the love of his son, Jesus Christ, throughout time. And so in that spirit, we're going to read uh, these words from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm going to begin in verse 12 and read through verse 22. My favorite memory verse is in here. I, I should change it, though, because I see one that looks even shorter now that I look at it. So, okay, here we go. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. We ask you, brothers... To respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Always rejoice, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. So, I have a brother, I have three brothers, but I have one of my brothers is named Bill, and his last name is Graves. My last name, if you don't know, is Masterson, and you might be asking yourself, how on earth do you have a brother that has a different last name than you do? And when I was about mm, probably nine or ten um, a relative of ours came to our house with a boy named Bill Graves. And Bill's father, who was my mom's third cousin once removed, I think we finally nailed down the, the, the family tree there. Um, but my mom's uncle showed up at our house with Bill and Bill's dad had just passed away, and Bill had never had no memory of his mother. Um, that's a whole other story. But um, Bill's dad had passed away. He was living in Austin, and um, my uncle, my mom's uncle, found out about it. Went and found, got Will, put him in the car, and was in Houston, just kind of spending the night, and not really knowing what to do with this 11-year-old boy that suddenly fell into his temporary custody. And my mom was like, well, John, where are you going? He's like, well, we've got some relatives in Louisiana that I think you know, might be a good fit for him. And my mom's like, John, just go home. Leave him here. We got this. So... There's something you need to understand about my mom. Um, Biggest heart in America. I'll just leave it there. Maybe the world, I don't know. 
And my mom was one of those people who was never thrown by having other people in her house. She actually kind of thrived on it. And so any given year in my age of memory, you know, from maybe five years old through whatever, there was always a plus one in our house for some reason, an exchange student, um, a relative who was, you know, moving to Houston and getting settled and needed a place to stay for a little while, whatever. It didn't matter. There was always, we had five bedrooms in our house. Who cares? Two more people won't matter. Um, and my mom loved to cook for all these people. She just loved it all. She just loved having people around. So anyway, Bill lands at, at our house and my mom tries to explain, like, well, and, the, and my, my parents sat me down because I was the younger. I, mean, so I was the youngest. We adopted a kid, and I'm still the youngest. It's just not fair. I wanted somebody to pick on. Um, so uh, they, they sat me down. Um, you know, we're going to bring in Bill. What do you think? You know, do you, can you handle a brother? Is this okay? And I'm like, yeah bring it on, you know, let's go, let's do it. And uh, the, the first, so within, within a couple of weeks, um, there's conflict, right? This doesn't take long. Just put two human beings in close proximity to one another and you will have conflict, right? That's, that's a truth, isn't it? I think it is. Um, and Bill and I are in the front yard, which we had this treeless front yard in front of our house and so it was the neighborhood football field and uh, you just didn't want to get tackled on the sidewalk that ran through the middle of it but that was the 50 yard line so not a lot of tackles happened there um bill and i are playing out front we get in some kind of a uh i don't know just a fight right and i don't know he probably remembers and it was probably me but i'm not admitting that from here um (laughs) Someone, and um, what did I say? I was like 9 or 10, and he's 11 or 12, somewhere in that window. And one of us decides to spit on the other one. And all I can remember is running around in circles on this front yard, and my mouth is so dry, I cannot generate anything with which to fight back after a certain point. And I'm sure we were nasty and, you know, whatever, And my mom was famous for, this is the way she would break up fights. She would go, boys, y'all stop that before somebody gets hurt. And then she'd turn around and leave. And my older brothers would always look at me and go, well, it's not going to be me. (laughs) And uh, so Bill and I have this like knockdown, drag out, started as like a spit fight and turned, you know, I tried to turn it into a physical fight, but I learned something about Bill that day. He would grow up to be like a state qualifying track person. That means he can run. I can't run. That's not me. And so I lost that little battle by proximity or lack thereof. Like I couldn't catch him, right? And uh, I tell you all of this because... We were, we were sort of made brothers by circumstances, not the normal way that people become siblings, right? 
just the, the circumstances of life wound up such that I suddenly had a new brother. Um, I, what's so interesting is I'll, you know, Bill and I will be somewhere today, and I'll say, well, this is my brother Bill, and they'll just look at him. Uh, his mother was from Mexico, so he doesn't look anything like me. Um, and uh, they'll just be like, well, what do you mean? Are you brother-in-law? Are you, you know, whatever? And, and I'm like, no, he's my brother. Like, I don't even use adopted anymore. He's not my adopted. He's my brother, right? And the, the bond that has endured through all those years into the present is just as real as the bonds between my other siblings and myself and, and, and they and each other. I mean, it's, he's family, right? And in much the same way, we have been not really by our own choosing drawn into this family of God. We've been made brothers and sisters under this umbrella, under this roof of Christ's sacrifice. That is our unifying truth. It is the thing that unites us. And then not only did he die to redeem us, but he sent his spirit to live within each one of us. Um, And then if you're anything like me, like my spirit can do a great job of getting in the way of God's spirit. So yes, I'm your brother in Christ. I may not always act like it, right? It may be my rebellious self that you're experiencing at any given time rather than the Spirit of God alive within me. However, we're family. And we're called to figure it out, to fight it out, I guess, if we have to, but to stay together and endure together what we're called into together. This basic idea that I I think is embedded in this portion of 1 Thessalonians is simply this. Christ died to bring us into God's family, so we need to live as family. We need to live as his children, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's not always going to be happy-go-skippy, right? We're going to have disagreements. We're going to have conflict. We're going to have misunderstandings. And what we're called to is to push past all of that into the unity of brotherhood, to, to grab that bond that transcends our differences and become literally God's family here on earth. So Paul gives us a few uh, insights into what this Christian brotherhood is, how it works. So I want to look at some of those things that are in this passage today. That first of all, we are to respect each other. And... <clears throat> I see some really interesting things in this passage. Um, So, we ask you, brothers, verse 12, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So, I think he's got two sets of people in view here. I think he's got the all of us, those who labor among you, that's 
everyone should be involved in the work of God in the church. And I think he's also, he also has in view those who are leading the church. And so to value those who serve their creator. There's a, there's a value there that is... A, it's a greater than. Like we, as God's children, are to value all human beings, all human life, all of what is created in the image of God has value and intrinsic uh, worth to it. And we are to recognize that in the way we treat other people, anyone, whoever, wherever. And then there's this additional calling here to value and respect those who serve God in the church, both the one another, the all of us, and those who are uh, in, in, in some office of some kind in the church, some recognized position of leadership, if you will. And I think, if I can say this, so we're to value those who serve him, those alongside of us, those ahead of us. And then verse 13, we're to appreciate those who serve God. He says, esteem them very highly in love because of their work. (laughs) So, this is going to require a little bit of, uh, like, I don't know, explaining. But what I find so interesting about what Paul says here is he doesn't say, love them and respect them because of their office. He says, love them and respect them, or respect them and love them because of their work, their service, what they are demonstrating that they do for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the family of God. Um, I do not think that pastors or elders or deacons deserve your blind trust. And, and that's, that bears out with what Paul is saying here. There is an extent in, in our calling as Christians, there is an extent to which we respect the office of a person. Like a, let's say there, we had a, a political entity in our country that you think is an idiot. Let's just hypothetically say that. Okay, I don't know who that might be, but let's just say there could be one. You still are called to respect their office, right? And as a Christian, we don't, we don't disrespect our president regardless of how much we like or dislike that person. We always respect the office, But I think what Paul is saying here is in the church, we are to respect what we, what we see. Like not there is there is a respect of office that I don't think is he's he's undermining by saying this. But I think what he's really getting at is the call to respect the service that you can see, the service that shows up. That's our basis for true respect and. Um, you know, an office in the church like elder or deacon or pastor is at the end of the day, it's relational. Like those, those P 
people who hold those offices are put there because other people respect them. They respect their service. They respect the sacrifices they make. Does that make sense? And so I just, I, I actually like the fact that Paul isn't saying, you know, just blindly trust and respect those that are over you in the church. That's not what he's saying. Esteem them highly in love because of their work. We are to endeavor to love others, our brothers and sisters. This is a high calling, and it's not always an easy one. But we are to put others first, to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, and to seek peace within the church. Um, as a pastor, I can tell you this is the thing I care about the most, is the, the unity of the church in purpose, in function, that generates a certain degree of peace among God's people, that we trust each other enough that we can, we can sort of take a step back or be at peace, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Um, when we have conflicts, and we do and we will, that are heated or difficult, um, those are the things that threaten our unity and our peace, and those are the things that need our, our undivided attention to work through to the point of reconciliation which is not always possible. The guy that wrote this letter um, used to travel to plant churches with, with other brothers in Christ, um, and he had, to, he had to break up with his right-hand man. That was Barnabas, right? Um, they used to work together. They got into a difference over with, you know, what other guy would go with them on a trip, and they couldn't reconcile their differences, and they just like, okay, great, we'll plant twice as many churches. You go that way, I'll go this way, I'll see you later. Um, but I don't think that's the ideal. I mean, I'm glad it's in, the, it's in the story of redemption that two leaders in God's church couldn't get along. Um, but I think the ideal is that we work through our differences to the point of reconciliation where everyone is at peace. And I'll just warn you, we live in a cut-and-run society. When things get uncomfortable, Americans hit the door. And we have that luxury here. Um, there are other places in the world that you've got to stick it out, and I think we're better off when we do. That's, I guess, the point there, that we're to respect each other all the way through our differences. And Paul sets forth an interesting code of brotherhood here that we are to follow. So we're to respect each other and we're to follow the code, so to speak, of brotherhood. He basically says, verse 14, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. We're to pull for the underdog. Um, you know, if you've ever been in, I don't know, middle school, the weaker kid is not always in a good position. There's sometimes nobody looking out for him or her. And life gets really lonely and really hard. And 
Paul is saying, I want you to look for that person. I want, to look, I want you to look for the person who needs to be reached out to, who needs to be drawn to, to the heart of God, who needs just some human presence in their life. Look for that person. Move toward them. And be helpful. And be patient with them. Uh, if people are naturally in a state of idleness, faint-heartedness, or weakness, they may not be the easiest people to work with. And so your calling is to work with them anyway, to reach out to them, to move toward them, to care for them, to be helpful, and to be patient in that. And then in verse 15, Paul tells us effectively to take the high road. See that no one repays evil for evil. We are to reject revenge as an option. We're to take that off the table of our choices as Christians in the way we relate to other people. No more eye for an eye, but rather to forgive as we have been forgiven. That is our calling. We are to leave those around us better off than where we found them. To invest in the hearts of people around us in such a way that they are strengthened and grown and brought to a place of strength and peace. So, we have a new code, if you will. This call to look out for the little guy. The call to take the high road. To lean into doing what's right regardless of the cost. And then we're called also in verses 16 through 22 to live from within, which is a challenge, right? Um, and I, I alluded to this earlier. My, what's within me is not always good. But what Paul is pointing us toward here is the entity that is within us that is good the indwelling of the Holy Spirit because Christ has redeemed us and made that deposit of the presence of His Spirit within us. To begin to learn to live out of that place rather than our own urges or desires. To be filled with His Spirit as Paul indicates in verse 19. That we are not to get in the Spirit's way we're to get out of the Spirit's way, let the Spirit move in us and through us in life to be people who are joyous and thankful. I can confess to you, I am not always joyous and I'm not always thankful. Um, I, I am, you know, like generally predisposed to be happy. Does that make sense? Like I'm not, a, I'm not, like of the seven dwarves, I'm not grumpy. Usually, I mean, I can be. I can do a pretty good grumpy. Um, but that's not who I am natively. So, however, and, and maybe I'm happy. Maybe I'm that dwarf. But joyous is different from happy. Joyous is rooted in something that, that's way beyond me. 
And it's, and it's completely irrelevant to my circumstances. So I can, I can be in the middle of miserable circumstances and still be joyous. That is our calling, to tap into that source that brings joy into every circumstance. And that's a matter of perspective at times, and it's a matter of listening to the Spirit within us that reminds us we have much to be thankful for. Joy and thanksgiving go hand in hand. They, they complement each other very well. And Paul is saying, be that. Cultivate joy and thanksgiving in your heart. Um, and there's, so I used to say that my favorite memory verse was 1 Thessalonians 5.17, which in the NIV I think says pray continually, which is a little shorter. But look right there in 16, how did I miss that? 16, rejoice always. That's even easier. That's simple. Right? I can do that. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always. Got a new memory verse. Now I have two memory verses memorized. (laughs) Boom. Rocking this thing. Um, What? Hey, you put me on the spot, Rusty, I'll ask you to quote the Lord's Prayer. Right here, right now. He grew up Baptist. They never said it in church. I'm, we're guilty of the same thing. I, I, you know. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It gets tricky here. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Did that help? No? No. Impressive. Impressive. Awesome. Hey, the guy that wrote that prayer was Jewish. Totally okay. All right. Very good. Um, To be joyous, to be thankful, to make all of life a prayer. Um, I I think I told you this. I was in a Bible study when I was in high school, and uh, I hope I'm not being too real here. Um, But this, we had an adult male who led the Bible study for all the high school guys in my class at my high school. And we would ask him deep theological questions like, how far can I go with my girlfriend? Right? Because that's what we wanted to know. And here was the best answer he ever gave. He said, um, well, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says you should always be praying. So, you can go as far as you can go with her while you can still be praying to God. We're like, wow, that's, that's open to interpretation, but not very open. Not very open. Um, all of our lives should be a prayer. Every moment, every day, good, bad, and ugly. And 
<laughs> you know, some days are more of a prayer of confession than uh, a prayer of praise or thanksgiving, but our lives should be an all-the-time prayer. They are actually already a prayer. It's a conversation with God, and it is not always pretty, but it's not like he's missing any part of what we say, do, or think. So we can bring it all under that umbrella that everything we say, do, and think should be part of this prayer we call life. We're to live from within, to be filled with his spirit and shaped by his word. What Paul means when he says don't despise prophecies but test everything is that if, and and this is true for me as well, like if you hear me say something and it doesn't sound right, go here. Check what I say against this. Because if I'm, not in, if I'm not in harmony with God's word, I'm not doing my job. And Paul says, don't, don't reject the, the prophetic word, the, the ministry of, of preaching, if you will, but test it against Scripture. Make sure that what your pastor is saying syncs with what God has said. That's really simple. Um, and, you know, I, I hope that everything I say is attached to, that's why I put the little references at the end of every little sentence. So I'm not pulling this out of thin air. I'm trying to d- do justice to the Word of God and say, this is what I see in this passage of Scripture for all of us. And so we are to be shaped by His Word to check everything against Scripture and to push back against temptation. And it's interesting that, that Paul sort of, as he winds through this, this section, he sort of um, hits that point in verse 22, abstain from every form of evil. Um, it's as if to say, because we have this power living within, within us, where normally we might be driven by our desires and tempted by those desires into things that are not according to the will of God, But because we have the deposit of the Holy Spirit alive within us, we have a choice. There's there's something different than we can do than be driven by our urges. We We can actually do what's right and good and true. And it's a sort of a glorious call to be able to look within ourselves and have a source from which we can draw to do what is right and good and true. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we thank you for making us into brothers and sisters as part of your eternal family through what you have done for us on the cross in your Son. Lord, help us to live out of the truth of that sacrifice, to tap in to the brotherhood of believers that you have established for us, that from this place of strength, and connection, we can better fulfill your will, that we can shine your light in this dark and hurting world, that we can live from that place within us where your spirit dwells, to resist temptation, to move towards what is right and good, to serve others in ways that they are made better, to be the people that you have called us to be, not just individually,
but as a family. And Lord, we thank you for that place of belonging and strength from which we can live as your children. And we just pray that what we say and do and think would be a harmonious prayer of thanksgiving and joy to the glory of your name each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.